The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. You're back. Here for the Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum. We are your analysis team here for the New York Giants blog, part of SB Nation. Today we're coming with you uh, to you with a show that we didn't really think that we were going to be bringing to you. We thought that we were going to have some type of a, a trade deadline news hit that we wanted to spend a lot of the show talking about. But instead, today is only going to be a film breakdown from the Giants' loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a game that is 100% uh, what could be desired but isn't really there right now for this this Giants team as they almost upset one of the best teams in the NFL right now. But we have to address first the Giants' inability to create any type of a trade market for some of their key pieces – And I think, frankly, Chris, them not making a single move besides Marcus Golden is pretty bad. They they were in a a position where, and typically the trade deadline is where you can get more draft capital for a player than they're actually worth because teams are desperate to fill needs on a path to a playoff push. When you get to the offseason, that trade market tends to be a little bit cooler So right now, they failed on that, and they also failed to move on some guys that played good this past week and have done decent things that they could have possibly gotten some mid-round picks for. I point immediately at Golden Tate. I point possibly in the direction of Evan Ingram, and I also especially am going to direct my attention at Kevin Zeitler. Any of those three guys could have been moved by the trade deadline, particularly Golden Tate and particularly Kevin Zeitler. I don't think Golden Tate would have gone really for a mid-round pick, but some type of a return on players that aren't exactly living up to the hype for this Giants team that could do well for a different team is pretty disappointing. This is it's, it's not a good thing that they didn't make any moves. No, it isn't. I it, We should probably temper our disappointment just a little bit by the fact that nobody made any moves, really. There was a little bit of a flurry of activity yesterday, but... Really, the trade deadline was kind of a dud this year. And with the challenges 
regarding COVID-19 and also the fact that the NFL salary cap is projected to go down next year. It's understandable that teams didn't want to give up meaningful assets for veterans on contracts another another team would like to get rid of which is right now that's why the Giants would be trading Golden Tate or Kevin Zeitler they just want to get that roughly 15 million dollars off of their salary cap so another team would have to be willing to take that on and I think this it probably signals that either the Giants just could not get a deal done they couldn't find anybody interested in taking on those contracts or the Giants' asking price was just too high. They misread the market, and they couldn't find anybody to meet their price and weren't willing to come down to get a deal done. Either way, these are two guys the Giants will probably wind up cutting after the season is over with. And if they do that, they're not going to get anything for them. Really late-round draft picks, uh, sixth, seventh round, maybe compensatory picks, you know, whatever. Those don't have a ton of value, but they're better than nothing. And right now, looking forward to another offseason where the Giants are probably going to have to add pieces, having something is better than nothing. That's the big key thing here is specifically Golden Tate and Kevin Zeitler are guys that are veterans currently taking up a significant amount of money in the Giants' salary cap. So the fact that they can't move either of them before the trade deadline is a bit concerning because right now, like you pointed out, Chris, there's a very high chance by the end of the season that they cut either one of them. And it's clear that maybe not Golden Tate is upset, but his wife is clearly upset that he's not getting the touches that he possibly deserves. So maybe that's his wife speaking from his perspective that stuff that he's not going to actually vocalize but is coming home and saying. So he might also be willing to find a way out of New York if he's fed up with his lack of touches. Overall, the, the whole trade the trade deadline I think was a bit mishandled. It's not the end of the world that they didn't make any trades, but it's disappointing in my perspective from a team-building perspective from where the Giants currently sit with their roster and what their plan needs to be going forward, their inability to make any moves is not good for any of that direction. This is essentially staying stagnant. You need to use this period of time to take those steps forward instead of staying the exact same. Yeah, and I have to say, at least from our perspective, just a little bit frustrating too, because we were sitting there keeping at least one eye on the Twitter machine. Uh, We moved back our planned recording time to make sure we were ready to catch and analyze any moves that went down and nothing. You know, we get excited when Joe Judge moves his press conference from four o'clock back to four twenty. Think, okay, you know, the Giants have something cooking. You know, we'll have we'll have something new and interesting to talk about and nothing. So, you know, that's just kind of here we are, where the Giants were yesterday and also the they they didn't make any moves and they still have those two veterans on the roster taking up cap space and also taking spots that the Giants could be using to evaluate younger players. So overall you can tell we are a little bit frustrated especially especially by what you just pointed out Chris how we were seriously hoping for something and we were thrown 
as many different curveballs as you could possibly imagine by them adding a veteran guard and then also Joe Judge pushing back his press conference. We 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 were conversing back and forth on like, oh, 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 wait, 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 is something going to happen? Is something going to happen? And we even, as you pointed out, we pushed back our recording time in, in anticipation of something going down and then nothing ended up hitting. So now to transition to breaking down the film from the Giants' loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The first offensive point that I want to bring to the table here, Chris, is a correction from something that we said during the Quick Takes show. Not, not as much as a correction, but a clarification. So while watching the game, we, we were giving praise for Andrew Thomas, Matt Parrott, which we are going to, going to do after we watch the film. We're going to do that very shortly. But I'd like to put a, a just a, a quick asterisk next to our comments about Shane Lemieux. So he did look good during the game, but once we went back and rewatched it, it was a little bit clear that we need to calm down a little bit. I think a lot of people were hyping up Shane, Le- Shane Lemieux, and, and we were also doing the same exact thing and saying that he looks pretty good for his first game. But when we actually got to see what he was doing, he didn't look that good. He looked a little sloppy. Um, his technique wasn't great. He didn't play as good as we thought he did, and he graded very, very poorly as a pass blocker per pro football focus. Yeah, I I, I think his pass block grade was something like a 12.1, which I didn't even know was possible. Uh, rewatching the game, it really did look like the Buccaneers attacked the Giants' A and B gaps on their offensive line. Yeah, it really looked like they were being aggressive with those interior gaps, and when they got ingress- aggressive, Lemieux, it looked like you know his... There were times where it almost looked like he was standing in line at the grocery store. His base would narrow, his hips would rise. He had really almost no leverage. And despite the fact that he is a very strong blocker, you didn't really see any of that, especially in pass protection. And there were more than a few times where he was getting walked back right into Daniel Jones's lap. And I think part of why we were feeling good about him in the immediate aftermath of the game was we were somewhere between expecting and afraid that the Buccaneers defensive front was just going to get blown away or sorry the Buccaneers defensive front was just going to blow away the Giants offensive line and through a few different things the Giants did that didn't really happen the Giants gave up three sacks and you know there was penetration and disruption, but overall it it wasn't the catastrophe we were afraid it could be. So I I think from that perspective it looked better than it was. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point to address here. We thought it was going to be a lot more difficult of a game than it turned out to be, and the credit does belong going to Andrew Thomas and Matt Parrott for the way that they played. I think Nick Gates looked better than he has. He's starting to slowly get a little bit more and more comfortable. And the reason why I want to just provide these points on Shane Lemieux is he's not there yet where we can confidently say, hey, maybe this is a a, a young later round draft pick that could progress into a decent starter. I don't think he's there yet. I think he could be a good spot player like we talked about in the preseason. He needs some work. He needs to work on his footwork. He needs to be a little bit more explosive. He was not getting out of his stance very well, and you could see that he was getting stalemated very easily. A defensive lineman's job, for the most part, unless it's a guy that 
needs to create sack production is to create stalemates against the run. That is what frees up linebackers and other pass rushers and D linemen off the edge to make plays and, and, and stop plays in the backfield. So him getting stalemated is a big no-no. That's a big negative for me. He can't be doing that uh, on any rushing plays. But Chris, I, I want to lead into now discussing Matt Parr and Andrew Thomas. Uh, I don't want to say that they were perfect. Matt Parr, again, playing limited snaps grades very well as one of the best offensive players for the Giants in this game. They both look good. I, I see a lot more fluidity. I saw uh, some cohesiveness. And considering Andrew Thomas was facing against JPP for a lot of reps and they, they weren't always facing the same guys every time, but the two main guys that you saw them going against were JPP and Shaq Barrett. I, I saw some really good kick sets from them. Uh, I, a little bit more to be desired in the running game, but some overall pretty good pass rush reps. Yeah, definitely. I I think they both showed some improvement. Uh, I think it's really only a matter of time before we see Matt Parrott as the Giants' starting right tackle. Yeah, I we've talked about maybe flipping Andrew Thomas over to right tackle, but I think the Giants are going to just leave him at left tackle for the rest of the season and probably somewhere around the bye week replace Cam Fleming with Parrott. I, I think over the next two weeks, he'll probably get Parrott, that is, another 20 to 30 snaps, you know, sprinkle him in throughout the game and, you know, start to season him a little bit, get him some experience, and then over the bye week, that I think is when the Giants make the switch. And we basically have rookie bookends on the offensive line. And also, I just want to say something I noticed from the Buccaneers defense. And I don't say this to take anything away from the Giants offensive tackles. But I do think, especially for the first two and a half or so quarters the Buccaneers were playing contain on the edges yeah I think they made the decision to not let Daniel Jones beat them with his legs you know I think they saw that almost an 80 yard run he had against the Eagles and they were bound and determined to not let that happen so there were a few times I saw really whoever was at defensive end or edge be it JPP and Shaq Barrett or William Golston uh, they even used Indomitian Sue as a defensive end a few times. And it really looked like they had opportunities to beat the Giants' offensive tackles, but didn't. You know, They didn't press their rush as much as they could and really just kind of sat there and didn't let Jones have the opportunity to break the pocket. And I think that ties back into th- what we noted earlier about how the Buccaneers were really aggressive on the inside. You know, we saw that a couple false starts by their linebackers. Uh, Devin White had one. A couple of their interior defensive linemen had them. So I think part of their game plan was to really attack the A and B gaps. Attack the A and B gaps, get in Daniel Jones's face, and maybe either flush him to those edges who were sitting there waiting to make tackles or to get him flustered and make a mistake because we also did see Tampa playing a lot of soft coverages. Yeah, the, a lot of that stuff I think came into play for how a number of these guys offensively played. And I think that we can use that as a good transition to our final offensive point, which is seeing what Daniel Jones was dealing with and 
acknowledging that those two interceptions weren't the only plays that he was off target. He had a lot of throws that he was off target. And what we saw in this game was Tampa Bay basically daring him to kill them deep. There were a number of one-on-one situations where if Daniel was on point, they would have been touchdowns. Not big gains, they would have been touchdowns. And those throws are almost worse or just as bad as those interceptions. Because if you can't hit those passes when you're getting handed touchdowns, that's also taking points off the board. So those plays for me... I don't want to go too deep in this discussion on this, Chris, because we we already killed Jones for this on the Quick Take Show, but those plays for me are so frustrating that he continues to do stuff like that, and that was another big reason why they didn't score as many points as they could. Yeah, his, not just placement, but accuracy on his deep passes was really anything beyond 10 yards downfield was just bad. He had... Darius Slayton a couple times where he just either put the ball where Slayton had absolutely no chance of getting it. And in fact, I think he even robbed himself of a potential pass interference call by putting the ball so far out of bounds that the refs couldn't throw the flag because it just was not a catchable pass. Uh, then there were a couple other plays where he just airmailed it over Slayton's head, uh, airmailed it past Evan Ingram, threw it out of Sterling Shepard's reach. And yeah, you know, even on some of the closer passes, you know, I counted probably four interceptions that got dropped by the Buccaneers. You know, one earlier in the game where his placement on a pass to Levine Toilolo was, you know, despite as massive as Toilolo was, it was out of his catch radius was just frustrating to see him really just be so scattershot with the ball. And it was like he was playing with fire all game long and wasn't under tremendous pressure. Yeah, and that's something that we we just constantly keep bringing up because it's something that he tends to do on a weekly basis. When he's off point, these are the mistakes that he'll make continuously throughout a game. So this particular game, though, These mistakes seriously impacted the offensive outcome. You have to point directly on those accuracy issues on why they didn't score more than 25 points in this game. We've got two defensive points we're going to get to coming up very shortly. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Chris, I want to give credit to Leonard Williams for the way that he played in this game. And I think that performances like this one, we've seen him have some other good games. A performance like this one is going to be very key in the offseason discussion on whether or not they want to keep him or Dalvin Tomlinson, because right now he's getting some serious quality sack production. And I understand that this game, a lot of those sacks were coverage sacks, but that's what you want from Leonard Williams. You want him to create upward pressure with a bull rush. That's typically what he does. He uses his strength to his advantage against guards and sometimes centers. And then eventually when there's no options for whoever the opposing quarterback is to get the ball out to, he's right there in their face to wrap them up and take them down. And he had some good pressures in this game, particularly the big sack that he had too. I think a lot of the stuff that we saw from him was was really good in this game. And, and for a show that bashes Leonard Williams, giving him credit is definitely worth. You know, I, I will give it to him if he if he makes me <laughs> if he proves me wrong. I will gladly give Leonard Williams credit. Yeah, that, yeah, that's something I think people tend to uh, overlook is that we are willing to give these guys credit when they play well, but that's just because we're being honest when we we're being honest in our assessments. You know, we we'll call guys out if they're playing bad, if they make dumb boneheaded mistakes or just screw up, but we also give them their props when they, when they play well. And Williams did have himself a good game. Yeah. I would like to see him, get those pressures more quickly. Nobody is going to confuse him with Aaron Donald. I, I'm not, nobody is going to ever confuse anybody uh, currently in the NFL with Aaron Donald. He is, he, he is just a mutant from another planet, but w- Williams was a disruptive presence and that's what the giants need him to be. That sack per next gen stats took just under five seconds to get there, which, you know, we, we definitely want him to finish his rushes. And if the giants give him opportunities for coverage sacks, uh, to pick up those opportunities, it would be nice to see, see him get there a little bit quicker than five seconds, because that's an awful long time for your secondary to cover. Fortunately, that play, the, the Giants secondary did a fantastic job because, I think I counted Brady pulling the ball down and patting it about five separate times. And he was so confused. He he had nowhere to go and he kept looking for an outlet and it just wasn't there. And it it was almost funny to watch a, a quarterback of with that pedigree, with that amount of experience, basically sitting there, patting the ball, burping the baby, waiting for Leonard Williams to bring him down. It's odd to point out how this sack production by Leonard Williams is a little bit of a bad thing. It's not. A, it's great that he he's doing it, but it's a counterpoint to why the Giants still need that additional edge rusher. And I know that's something that we consistently say, but if they had a, a good pass rusher, and I know Kyler Fackrell has played better than we expected, but if they had like an actual guy that commands some serious attention from opposing offensive lines, the Giants could have had four or five sacks in this game just based on what the coverage was able to do. If you have a guy that can get back there in in three seconds instead of five, it could have been a much more productive day by that Giants pass rush. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you 
don't really want, and this is something we talked about before we started recording, you don't really want your a defensive lineman like Leonard Williams to be one of your leading pass rushers. Yeah, that that shouldn't really be his role. He should be disruptive and you know used to create you know, create pressure on the interior. But a defense needs a guy who can win with speed, needs a guy who can command double teams, force offenses to account for them. And right now the Giants just don't have that. Yeah, that sack that five second sack by the by Leonard Williams was the Giants fastest. Yeah, Carter Coughlin did get a sack, or he was at least credited with a sack. I honestly don't know how long it took to get there. And yeah, like we said before, you can't ask your secondary, no matter how well they're playing, to consistently cover for five, six, or lo- seconds or longer. Yeah, that is really a recipe for disaster. The Giants do need to find themselves a consistently disruptive edge rusher, a guy who can win with speed, who can force quarterbacks to step up into the pocket and into the arms of Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence and BJ Hill. And I don't know if having that edge rusher would necessarily hurt or help Williams, but it would definitely help the defense as a whole because for way too many, way too many snaps, Brady was, he could have set up a hammock in the backfield. So that's going to be it from us, folks, on today's episode of The Chris and Joe Show. Thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to go and hit that follow button for us on social media at Joe DeLeon, at RaptorMKII, and also at Big Blue View on Twitter and Instagram. Also, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you are listening to us and head to our website, BigBlueView.com, for more Giants news and analysis. 